we're in a series called Transformation Journey. It came out of a little experience I had this summer where I took four days, a little solo backpack trip, and the Lord led me to read through the Gospels in those four days. And I was so amazed in what I experienced in those four days, just reading through the Gospels, just becoming reacquainted with Jesus. I felt like I was born again, again. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's something about immersing yourself in Scripture and walking with Jesus, not just learning stuff about Jesus, but actually walking with Jesus that is so amazing, so beautiful, so powerful, so compelling. It just blows me away. And what I noticed most of, the, uh, of my reading during those four days, I, and I tried to capture it in this little series that we're doing, I noticed, first of all, uh, the radical discipleship of Jesus. He never made it easy for people to follow him. The bar is high. It only is faith that brings us into this relationship with Christ. But walking with Christ is an impossible venture without his power and spirit living in us. The radical nature of discipleship. I also noticed the amazing love of Jesus. Oh, how amazing his love is. To be touched by his love. To feel his arm around me. To feel his love for me. To know that he loves me with an everlasting love. Incredible experience. Radical discipleship, amazing love, miraculous power, what I want to talk about today. I was so blown away by just on every page, there's this crazy stuff going on with people being healed and uh, blind people and lame people and, and, and over the elements and, and people rising from the dead and just crazy stuff. I'm going, wow, this is amazing. And then lastly, the missional focus of Jesus, that it was always the cross, it was the, only the cross. He was going to the cross. No one would stop him. He wasn't a victim. He gave his life on purpose for us. Oh, I just saw those four things. And so I've been trying to spill out on those things. And by the way, we've challenged you to read through the Gospels in 24 days. And here we are. We're midweek, uh, midway through the series uh, you know, if you've been keeping up with the reading, you're about today, you finished Luke chapter 8, I believe, and, uh, and then you're going to keep going. And if you're just hearing this for the first time today, I want to encourage you on your way out, grab a, a reading challenge and finish the Gospel of Luke and John over the next couple of weeks. And if you really want to go at it, then just double up the reading and you can do the whole thing in 14 days. Amen? Okay. So, you know, just immerse yourself in the Gospel. I'm challenging you to get some Big-time immersion in the gospel, it'll change your life because Jesus changes our lives. Jesus can change your life today. Now, I couldn't get over it when I read the gospels. And right there, every day, it hit me again. My Jesus can do anything. My Jesus can do anything. And not only can he do anything, he is eager willing, passionate to do amazing things in our lives. This is what I saw in the gospel record on every page. Jesus willing, wanting, desiring, passionate to do incredible things. We serve a God that loves us immeasurably but has a limitless power to change things in our lives. And I found myself asking the question, even hearing the Spirit of God asking me the question, don't you want to see and experience my power more in your life, Larry? <laughs> and why are you so afraid to be bold, to ask me to do impossible, what you think are impossible things? 
I felt that. I, I remember one day walking up this little canyon looking for a place to fish. This is before I fell in the water. <laughs> and that question just sort of gnawing at my heart. Larry, why are you so timid when you know that I can do these things? What are you afraid of? What, what are you holding back on? And I felt that question. I want to ask you that question. Why are we so timid? Why are we so afraid? Uh, maybe if we're really honest, and I found myself saying back to the Lord, Lord, I, it's like that the man that Jesus said I would heal even at a distance. The man said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I mean, really, I guess at the bottom line, I think maybe I just don't believe like I could or like I should. I want to show you three things that kind of came to me as I read through. These are simple things, but maybe they'll be, I hope they'll be life-changing for you. Number one, if you're taking notes, actually, no, let's read the text. Okay. <laughs> Chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now I chose that little paragraph because it kind of sums up in a way what you see on every page of the gospel record. Jesus doing phenomenal things, amazing things, miraculous things. My hope today is that simply we would all be reminded that Jesus is a miracle working savior, that he's able to do what's seemingly impossible to us and maybe you're here today and you think, wow, I, you know, that's a savior I need. I need a miracle in my life. My marriage needs a miracle. My kids need a miracle. My relationship with my kids need a miracle. I need a miracle. My, my finances need a miracle. I mean, I, I'm saying in, in a crowd this size, we've got people saying, God, I need breakthrough in my life. I need some kind of breakthrough. I need to see something here that reminds me that there is a supernatural God at work in my life. And I believe that God wants to meet us in maybe ways that we didn't expect. And I'm hoping to illustrate that a little bit today. Because as I read through the gospel record, I see all these miracle, 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 miracles. I look around my life and I go, okay. <laughs> Where do I see these same kinds of things going on? I go to hospitals, I pray for people, and then they die. You know, it's like, I, I'm not, uh, sorry. <laughs> A lot of you are saying, I'm never going to ask Larry to come pray for me. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I don't always see like this shazam, you know. But I believe that God is a God of miracles. I believe that God does extraordinary things. And I believe that he'd do more things in my life if I were more bold, more faithful, more trusting, more expecting of what he alone can do in my life. Amen? I hope that's true for you too. So 
So I chose this paragraph just as a reminder, and this is mostly physical healing. There's a lot of miracles. We've got a lot to cover today. Let me see how much time we have. Okay, you've got to listen really fast. Okay. Okay, here's three things. First of all, I noticed that the Gospels reveal the miraculous power of Jesus. Okay, that goes without, it's very simple. It's right there in your notes. But when we talk about miracles, what do we mean by miracles? Miracles. A uh, couple things, three things I want to tell you about miracles in the Scripture. Number one, the miracles of Jesus are supernatural acts that defy the natural realm. Miracles, in the purest form, a miracle, is something that defies the natural realm. Um, there are four primary words in the Greek New Testament that describe the idea of miracles. Um, ergon, it's a very general word. It's often described or often translated works, the works of God. And whenever we talk about the works of God, we're talking about what only God can do. But it can come off very natural because, for example, our breathing right now, God gives you your breath. Did you know that? I mean, you're alive because God is willing you to be alive. <laughs> because you could be just as healthy as can be and boom, you're gone. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Our lives are in God's hands. Psalm 139. Every day of our lives are numbered before one of them come to be. So our very breath is the work of God. Amen. That's a very general sense supernatural invading our lives. But there's also this word dunamis, which is translated power or miracle, many places in the New Testament. It's a much more precise word, describes that aha, that oh my goodness, the oh overwhelming sense of what God's doing. There's also the word terita, which means wonder. It's inexpressible and unexplainable kind of thing. This is a, another word that is used. And also the word simeon, which is the word we translate sign, in the Greek, uh, from the Greek. And John captures that mostly in his gospel. He talks about the signs of Christ or that Jesus gave this miracle as a sign. In fact, uh, in the book of Acts, if you're quick, you want to just quickly flip over to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Acts 2, 22, 2, 2, 2. Luke records what's going on here in Acts 2 and he says... He puts all these words, or three of the four words, together in one little bundle. He says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by, look at this, miracles, that's dunamis, wonders, terita, and signs, Simeon, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. In other words, these works Jesus performed were the specific power of God inciting a response of the witness which was intended to reveal the identity of Jesus Christ. So what's interesting about miracles, first of all, as you read through the gospel record, is that you see that miracles as such often drew a crowd and attracted followers. They drew a crowd and they attracted followers. But what you also notice in the same way is that they don't always do so. In other words, you're in the crowd and you see the miracle, but then you go away and you forget it. And there's an example of that all through the gospel record. And I'm going to explain later in the message why that's the case. Now, some of us are confused by miracles because we turn other things that we see in life, because we don't really understand the nature of miracles, we call lots of things miracles. You know, like if you're a, a, a parent of a newborn, 
you might say, it was a miracle. My baby slept through the night. (laughs) Or if you have a squirmy toddler, you know, that won't ever sit down and eat, and he actually eats his whole meal, you say, it's a miracle. Or if you have a loved one that you've been trying to get to church and they finally come to church with you, you say, it's a miracle. You know, or like when I was in school, you know, if I passed an exam that I didn't really study for, (laughs) it's a miracle. We call lots of things miracles that are not really miracles. Now certainly where it gets a little fuzzy too is that God's providence, God's provision, God's presence has a supernatural element to it. Wherever God is involved, there's a supernatural element, right? So God is always working. John 5, 19 tells us God is always working. Jesus said, my Father is always working. God is always at work, and so in that sense, there's a supernatural thing going on in our lives all the time. But when we talk specifically about miracles, about something that defies the natural realm, those are far more specific and Less frequent even in Scripture, all right? The second thing I want to tell tell you about miracles is that the miracles of Jesus recorded in the Gospels are numerous. There are so many of them. I was struck. This is what happened when I went, when I just read immersively through the Gospels, it just hit me how many things happen. It's crazy. It's just a beautiful, like a nudge of joy and blessing that this is the God that I serve And I got to thinking about all the miracles. Do you have a favorite miracle? You know, I mean, it'd be fun to just, if we had time, you know, we could talk about that. Break into groups and talk about your favorite miracle. (laughs) But but think, maybe it's, you know, the healing of the blind man. I think there's some beauty in that. The the leper, you know, uh, uh, the paralytic lowered through the roof. I love that miracle. You know, the guy's break the roof of this guy's house and bring the, you know, I, I think that guy probably was hoping for a miracle to get his house fixed after... After they worked on that, one of my favorites too, you remember the coin, you know, does your master, they asked Peter, uh, pay the, the two drachma tax, you know, remember when we studied Matthew, and, and so Peter goes to Jesus and says, uh, you know, what about it, Should we go this, owe this temple tax, and Jesus says, okay, go down to the lake, I want you to throw a line in there, you're going to catch a fish, and when you open the fish's mouth, there's going to be a coin in there, give it to the guys, you know. Wow, pay your taxes that way, I love that strategy. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Lord, I'm a little short on my taxes. I'm going over to Lake Chabot. Let's see what happens. You know, I mean, that would be so fun. I think I have to say my favorite miracle is where Jesus calms the storm in Mark chapter 4. And he's asleep in the boat. And the guys, you know, let's go over to the other side. And he crawls in, goes to bed because he's tired. And they come across the lake and it's just storm. And they wake him up. Lord, don't you care if we drown? You know, they're just freaking out. And Jesus just says a word and it all just, the storm is over. And I love that story for a couple of reasons. One, it's just a beautiful visual. Think about how Jesus can calm the storm of our lives. But it's also a great reminder to me of a little experience. And I've told this story before. But I was on a flight coming from L.A. to San Francisco on a Southwest airline in the bulkhead, reading that story out loud to about a 10-year-old girl who had brought a little picture Bible story book home from her grandmother, and she didn't know anything about it, so I just picked out that story and was reading it to her, when suddenly our jet went into the jet wash of another jet, and it went into a barrel roll right when I said, Lord, don't you care if we die? I kid you not. And the plane comes back to level, 
and everybody's shouting for drinks, you know, I need a vodka, martini, whatever. But someone right across from me in the bulkhead said, please continue the story. <laughs> and a little revival broke out in the bulkhead of the Southwest Airlines. I was handing Bibles out at the end. It was like, the, it was like a Acts 2 moment. It was just incredible. And I thought, only God could have worked that out. It was so the timing of all that. Now, was it a miracle? Providence. God was at work. Miracles are numerous. Thirdly, miracles of Jesus fall into four basic categories. And just quickly, real quick, if you want to jot these down. There's miraculous power over nature, okay? The great catch of fish, calming the storm, walking on water. These are things that defy the laws of nature that Jesus did. The miraculous power over supply, water into wine, feeding of the multitudes, the coin in the fish's mouth. Uh, miraculous power over healing. How many times do we read about the blind, the deaf, the lame, the sick, rising the dead? Even from a distance, Jesus could do this. And then there's healing or miracles over the spiritual realm, casting out of demons, subjecting demons to himself. These are the four categories of miracles. Now, we could contemporize those even in our own lives, knowing that God does work in nature. You know, last year we were heading into the worst drought in California history, and there were a lot of people praying about it. I was praying about it. I'm sure you were too but certainly not avidly, probably. It wasn't a daily prayer, but, well, it was for a long time. Anyway, the point is, last year, I don't think anybody expected the deluge that we got, right? Now, was that God just interceding and doing the miracle of turning, because all the forecasts were, is it going to be another dry year? We're going to be in, you know, we're going to be the new dust bowl. All this stuff is going on. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, supply, some of us need rent money. We don't know where it's going to come from. Some of us have situations, our business is drying up, there's things going on, and we're asking for supply. We need clients, we need this, we need that. Or some of us have physical situations going in our lives where we just need a touch from God. We need a miraculous touch. We don't know what's going on in our bodies. Maybe we don't even have diagnosis, but we know something's wrong, and we just wish it were changed. And we know now we're not going to ask Larry to pray for those things. <laughs> or there's a spiritual battle going on in your life. And you know that there's just this nagging thing that's constantly coming into your life. And you can trace that to something that you dabbled in, you know, you were, you know, kind of mesmerized by the spiritual world or something. And now maybe you're kind of reaping the, the aftermath of that. You're seeing things that are kind of dark in your life. And you're wondering, gee, you know, what's, what's up with it? I feel like I'm tormented by stuff. And there's some of us that do. There's some forms of mental illness. I wonder, I say, is that demonic? Not all mental illness, certainly, you know, we can be, have all kinds of illnesses. The point is, what I'm trying to say is, Jesus can step into any of those things. He's a miracle-working God. He's a miracle-working Savior. And why are we not more bold to ask Him to do the most incredible things in our lives and for others in our lives? The Gospels are filled with the miracles of Jesus. The second thing that I saw as I read through this is that Christ's miracles... And his power points all of humanity to two very specific things. What is Jesus doing miracles for? You have to ask yourself the question, why? Why is all this going on? Is it just sensationalism? Is Jesus trying to just gather a crowd? No. 
It's not that at all. As you read through the gospel record, you see two things just come out like a neon light, especially if you're not doing a Twitter account of the gospels, when you're just getting a little bite here and there, but when you read it in its context, you see that what Jesus is doing, number one, is he's revealing himself as the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He is the one that all the people he came to, the Jews first, primarily, and to the Gentile world in general, that he is the Savior of the world. He is Messiah. Ancient rabbinical studies show us that the rabbis taught that the Messiah would not just simply show up and announce that he was the Messiah, but that he would give evidence of his life, and so they would sort of be like an aha, this must be the Messiah. In fact, if, you, if you're good, quick, in your Bibles, going to the uh, Old Testament, go to the book of Isaiah quickly. I'm going to show you two places. Quickly, quickly. Faster, come on, faster. 35. Isaiah 35. <laughs> 35, verses 5 and 6. This is prof- pro- uh, prophetic announcement about Messiah. Listen, then... Will the eyes of the blind be opened, verse 5, and the ears of the deaf unstopped? Then will the lame leap like a deer and the the mute tongue shout for joy? Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This is just a little picture of what God was sending to the people. There was going to be a day where there would be all these things going on. The lame walking, the deaf hearing, the eyes of the blind being opened. If you go to chapter 61 of Isaiah, and I want to show you this again. Because, this will sound familiar for those of you that know the New Testament, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, verse 1, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedoms, freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, of oil of gladness, the oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. You remember when Jesus walked into the temple there in Nazareth and the scroll was handed to him and he read it and he read from that passage. He says, he hands the scroll back and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. He was proving without saying it outwardly that he was a Messiah. And all the miracles are pointing to him, pointing to him. That's why Remember in Luke, go to Luke chapter 7 now, and this will make a lot more sense. Luke 7, where in verse 18, remember John, the, uh, the baptizer, John the Baptist's disciples were asked by John. John is in prison. He doesn't know he's about to lose his head. And he asks his disciples, go to Jesus and ask him if he's really the one. Now think about this. John the Baptist. And in his moment of despair and darkness, he's kind of second-guessing a little bit. And he's asking his disciples to go and find out from Jesus. And look at the way Jesus responds to this. Um, Verse 21, let's pick it up there. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those, uh, the lame walk, Those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Now what Jesus is saying is, look at the evidence. He's saying it without actually saying it. He didn't say to these guys, yes, I'm the Messiah. Go back and tell John he's having a bad day. Tell him I'm the Messiah. No. He says, look at the evidence. Because this is what Messiah was going to do. Messiah was going to show up. 
and do these miraculous things and people were going to discover, this is our Messiah. There were all kinds of people that stood up in front of the people and said, I'm the Messiah. Follow me. There were all these, you know, would-be, wannabe messiahs. The real Messiah was not going to announce his Messiahship. He was going to prove his Messiahship. And that's what Jesus was doing. And that's why, you know, skeptics will say, why didn't Jesus just come out? You say he's the Messiah. He never says he's the Messiah. Well, they haven't really read the Gospels because the religious, the chief, uh, the high priest said to Jesus, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Remember in the little court on the night he was betrayed? And Jesus said, I am. So we've got it right there in the Gospels. He does say, but it's almost like he got to pry it out of him because the real Messiah was not coming to announce his Messiahship. He was coming to prove his Messiahship. This is what's beautiful about Jesus. He says, you got to look at my life. you got to see what I'm doing. And that's what he does. So Jesus is giving proof all over the place. That's the first thing that we see about his, his miracles. But the second thing is that I read in the Gospels is that eternal life is given freely to all who believe in Jesus. All who believe in Jesus receive eternal life. Take your Bibles and go to John chapter 20, please. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, end of the Gospel record. This is so great because actually at the end of all this, I couldn't get away from what Jesus says here in John 20, verse 31, 30 and 31. John writes, excuse me, John writes, he says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Wow. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Therein, the gavel comes down. Why did Jesus do miracles? Why are, Jesus, why are miracles presented in the gospel record? So that we might see who he is, place faith and trust in him, and, in, and in, as a result of that, receive eternal life. That's the whole point. Jesus wants to incite, miracles incite faith which produces eternal life. That's amazing. That's why I love handing people the Gospel of John, and I say, read this. I recently took a young man through the Gospel of John, who's not a believer in Christ, and when we sat together and talked about it, he said, you know, what was amazing to me, one of his observations, he said, I'm quoting, he said, it's so weird to me that people actually see Jesus do something miraculous, and then a little later, seem to forget everything that happened. How could this be? And as I sat there listening to him and shared a little bit more, I discovered that he was actually doing the same thing all the people that he just condemned to do. Because there's something, I wanted to go, go back to Luke. If you're still in Luke, are you there? No, you're not. You, I took you to John 20. I should have I said, hold your finger in Luke 7, because I want to take you back to what Jesus says at the end of the disciples of John in Luke 7, verse 23. This is really good. Verse 23, Jesus says to those disciples, he says, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. That word, those little phrase, fall away, the word scandaleste in the Greek language. And what, is, what Jesus is saying is that if you don't incorporate what you see with faith, you scandalize the gospel. If you don't engage with faith what you have observed... You scandalize, you fall away on account of Jesus. You sca- it's a scandal. <laughs> it's scandalous. And so many people read the Gospels 
and they have a choice to make. Am I going to believe what Jesus did here? Because I don't necessarily see all these same things happening today like they happened in the Gospels. So we have a choice to make. Did they happen or did they not happen? If we believe they happen, we place faith in them, then we've got some you know, gas in the tank. <laughs> we got something to go on. But if we look at it, we go, ah, you know, well, whatever, it could have been, maybe not, I don't know, we walk away. It's like the veil comes down over our hearts. It just gets further and further down. Unless we engage with faith, it gets dimmer. And this is why faith is so important. Jesus says it's not how much faith you have, it's whether you believe. Do you just trust me? Do you trust that I've done these things? Which is going to bring us to the the climax of this whole thing quickly. Here's a third thing I observe about the miracles. The miracles of Jesus revealed in the Gospels have transformational impact, okay? Transformational. Number one, our praise is impacted. It's transformed. When we come together as God's people, we look back, we look at, and we look ahead at the miraculous power of God. And as a result, we praise Him. And our praise should be high. We should praise with full abandon for all that he has done in our lives. I will praise you, O Lord, Psalm 9, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High, Psalm 9, verses 1 and 2. Praise him. Secondly, our prayers are transformed. You know, um, I wrote in my little moleskin, I don't have it with me. I meant to bring it just to show you. It doesn't matter. You couldn't see it anyway. But I wrote in my... (laughs) I wrote in my little moleskin where I have miscellaneous requests, things that people just come, pray for this, I need prayer for this. And it struck me in all the gospel record, and I wrote down Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And this is as much a message about prayer as it is about the miraculous power of God because those two things go together. Not always getting what we want, but getting what God wants to give us in order to give glory to his name. And I want to remember that more. That's why I wrote it down. That's why I have it in my head. That when I'm praying for these requests, I'm remembering that Jesus promised that if I believe, I will receive it. I want to pray more like that. I want to pray believing. I want to, I want to stop thinking that it's not going to happen even though I'm praying about it. And start believing that it is going to happen when God wants it to happen. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. John, or Matthew, or excuse me, Hebrews 13.8. And the last thing I want to say about all this is not only are our prayers and our praise transformed, but our perspective is transformed. Um, This really hit me. Because as I sat there one day around the campfire, I thought, wow, what's the greatest miracle that's happened in my life? And I started thinking about all the miracles that God has done, and I went back to thinking about the creation. I don't know about you, I I believe that God created everything out of nothing. I believe that God put it all together, and I don't want to get into the whole debate of, you know, Micro versus macro evolution, all those things. I'm just saying that I believe that God, out of nothing, created everything. He, did need no, he needed no help. 
He needs no process. He just created it all. And I'm not being scientific in that statement. I'm just saying I believe that God is a creator God. And then I was thinking, and we'll close with this. Go to 2 Corinthians, please. 2 Corinthians 4. Beginning in verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. Look at verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And it hit me again. I am the greatest miracle I know about. (laughs) Because the creator, God, spoke life into me like he spoke light into this universe. The created, the creation of God, as miraculous as it is, is compared to the recreation of God's people who by faith come to Him. Greatest miracle of all. You are the greatest miracle if you know Christ. There's no greater miracle. No greater miracle. We serve an amazing, miraculous Savior. Let's trust him for some big stuff.